Chapter Twenty Three of Erewhon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Carpenter. Erewhon by Samuel Butler. Chapter Twenty Three, The Book of the Machines. The writer commences. There was a time when the earth was to all appearance utterly destitute both of animal and vegetable life, and when, according to the opinion of our best philosophers, it was simply a hot round ball with a crust gradually cooling. Now if a human being had existed while the earth was in this state, and had been allowed to see it as though it were some other world with which he had no concern, and if at the same time he were entirely ignorant of all physical science— would he not have pronounced it impossible that creatures possessed of anything like consciousness should be evolved from the seeming cinder which he was beholding? Would he not have denied that it contained any potentiality of consciousness? Yet in the course of time consciousness came. Is it not possible, then, that there may be even yet new channels dug out for consciousness, though we can detect no signs of them at present? Again, consciousness, in anything like the present acceptation of the term, having been once a new thing, a thing as far as we can see, subsequent even to an individual centre of action, and to a reproductive system, which we see in existing plants without apparent consciousness, why may there not arise some new phase of mind, which shall be as different from all present known phases, as the mind of animals is from that of vegetables? It would be absurd to attempt to define such a mental state, or whatever it may be called, inasmuch as it must be something so foreign to man that his experience can give him no help towards conceiving its nature, but surely when we reflect upon the manifold phases of life and consciousness which have been evolved already, it would be rash to say that no others can be developed, and that animal life is the end of all things. There was a time when fire was the end of all things, another when rocks and water were so. The writer, after enlarging on the above for several pages, proceeded to inquire whether traces of the approach of such a new phase of life could be perceived at present, whether we could see any tenements preparing which might in a remote futurity be adapted for it, whether in fact the primordial cell of such a kind of life could be now detected upon earth. In the course of his work he answered this question in the affirmative, and pointed to the higher machines. There is no security, to quote his own words, against the ultimate development of mechanical consciousness in the fact of machines possessing little consciousness now. A mollusk has not much consciousness. Reflect upon the extraordinary advance which machines have made during the last few hundred years, and note how slowly the animal and vegetable kingdoms are advancing. The more highly organized machines are creatures not so much of yesterday as of the last five minutes, so to speak, in comparison with past time. Assume for the sake of argument that conscious beings have existed for some twenty million years. See what strides machines have made in the last thousand. May not the world last twenty million years longer? If so, what will they not in the end become? Is it not safer to nip the mischief in the bud and to forbid them further progress? But who can say that the vapor engine has not a kind of consciousness? Where does consciousness begin and where end? Who can draw the line? Who can draw any line? Is not everything interwoven with everything? Is not machinery linked with animal life in an infinite variety of ways? The shell of a hen's egg is made of a delicate white ware, and is a machine as much as an egg cup is. The shell is a device for holding the egg, as much as the egg cup for holding the shell. Both are phases 
of the same function. The hen makes the shell in her inside, but it is pure pottery. She makes her nest outside of herself for convenience sake, but the nest is not more of a machine than the egg shell is. A machine is only a device. Then returning to consciousness and endeavoring to detect its earliest manifestations, the writer continued. There is a kind of plant that eats organic food with its flowers. When a fly settles upon the blossom, the petals close upon it and hold it fast till the plant has absorbed the insect into its system. But they will close on nothing but what is good to eat. Of a drop of rain or a piece of stick they will take no notice. Curious, that so unconscious a thing should have such a keen eye to its own interest. If this is unconsciousness, where is the use of consciousness? Shall we say that the plant does not know what it is doing merely because it has no eyes or ears or brains? If we say that it acts mechanically, and mechanically only, shall we not be forced to admit that sundry other and apparently very deliberate actions are also mechanical? If it seems to us that the plant kills and eats a fly mechanically, may it not seem to the plant that a man must kill and eat a sheep mechanically? But it may be said that the plant is void of reason because the growth of a plant is an involuntary growth. Given earth, air, and due temperature, the plant must grow. It is like a clock, which being once wound up, will go till it is stopped or run down. It is like the wind blowing on the sails of a ship. The ship must go when the wind blows it. But can a healthy boy help growing if he have good meat and drink and clothing? Can anything help going as long as it is wound up, or go on after it is run down? Is there not a winding up process everywhere? Even a potato in a dark cellar has a certain low cunning about him which serves him in excellent stead. He knows perfectly well what he wants and how to get it. He sees the light coming from the cellar window and sends his shoots crawling straight there too. They will crawl along the floor and up the wall and out at the cellar window. If there be a little earth anywhere on the journey, he will find it and use it for his own ends. What deliberation he may exercise in the matter of his roots when he is planted in the earth is a thing unknown to us, but we can imagine him saying, I will have a tuber here and a tuber there, and I will suck whatsoever advantage I can from all my surroundings. This neighbor I will overshadow, and that I will undermine, and what I can do shall be the limit of what I will do. He that is stronger and better placed than I shall overcome me, and him that is weaker I will overcome. The potato says these things by doing them which is the best of languages. What is consciousness if this is not consciousness? We find it difficult to sympathize with the emotions of a potato, so we do with those of an oyster. Neither of these things makes a noise upon being boiled or opened, and noise appeals to us more strongly than anything else because we make so much about our own sufferings. Since then they do not annoy us by any expression of pain, we call them emotionless, and so qua mankind they are, but mankind is not everybody. If it be urged that the action of the potato is chemical and mechanical only, and that it is due to the chemical and mechanical effects of light and heat, the answer would seem to lie in an inquiry whether every sensation is not chemical and mechanical in its operation, whether those things which we deem most purely spiritual are anything but disturbances of equilibrium in an infinite series of levers, beginning with those that are too small for microscopic detection and going up to the human arm and the appliances which it makes use of whether there be not a molecular action of thought, whence a dynamical theory of the passions shall be deducible. Whether, strictly speaking, we should not ask what kind of levers a man is made of, rather than what is his temperament. How are they balanced? How much of such-and-such such will it take to weigh them down, so as to make him do so-and-so? The writer went on to say that he anticipated a time when it would be possible by examining a single hair with a powerful microscope to know whether its owner could be insulted with impunity. 
He then became more and more obscure, so that I was obliged to give up all attempt at translation, neither did I follow the drift of his argument. On coming to the next part, which I could construe, I found that he had changed his ground. Either, he proceeds, a great deal of action that has been called purely mechanical and unconscious must be admitted to contain more elements of consciousness than has been allowed hitherto, and in this case germs of consciousness will be found in many actions of the higher machines, or, assuming the theory of evolution but at the same time denying the consciousness of vegetable and crystalline action, the race of man has descended from things which had no consciousness at all. In this case there is no a priori improbability in the descent of conscious, and more than conscious, machines from those which now exist, except that which is suggested by the apparent absence of anything like a reproductive system in the mechanical kingdom. This absence, however, is only apparent, as I shall presently show. Do not let me be misunderstood as living in fear of any actually existing machine. There is probably no known machine which is more than a prototype of future mechanical life. The present machines are to the future as the early saurians to man. The largest of them will probably greatly diminish in size. Some of the lowest vertebrate attained a much greater bulk than has descended to their more highly organized living representatives, and, in a like manner, a diminution in the size of machines has often attended their development and progress. Take the watch, for example. Examine its beautiful structure. Observe the intelligent play of the minute members which compose it. Yet this little creature is but a development of the cumbrous clocks that preceded it. It is no deterioration from them. A day may come when clocks, which certainly at the present time are not diminishing in bulk, will be superseded, owing to the universal use of watches, in which case they will become as extinct as ichthyosauri, while the watch, whose tendency has for some years been to decrease in size rather than the contrary, will remain the only existing type of an extinct race. But returning to the argument, I would repeat that I fear none of the existing machines. What I fear is the extraordinary rapidity with which they are becoming something very different to what they are at present. No class of beings have in any time past made so rapid a movement forward. Should not that movement be jealously watched, and checked while we can still check it? And is it not necessary for this end to destroy the most advanced of the machines which are in use at present, though it is admitted that they are in themselves harmless? As yet, the machines receive their impressions through the agency of man's senses. One travelling machine calls to another in a shrill accent of alarm, and the other instantly retires. But it is through the ears of the driver that the voice of the one has acted upon the other. Had there been no driver, the collie would have been deaf to the collar. There was a time when it must have seemed highly improbable that machines should learn to make their wants known by sound, even through the ears of man. May we not conceive, then, that a day will come when those ears will be no longer needed, and that hearing will be done by the delicacy of the machine's own construction. When its language shall have been developed from the cry of animals to a speech as intricate as our own, it is possible that by that time children will learn the differential calculus as they now learn to speak from their mothers and nurses, or that they may talk in the hypothetical language and work rule of three sums as soon as they are born, but this is not probable. We cannot calculate on any corresponding advance in man's intellectual or physical powers, which shall be a set-off against the far greater development which seems in store for the machines. Some people may say that man's moral influence will suffice to rule them, but I cannot think it will ever be safe to repose much trust in the moral sense of any machine. Again, might not the glory of the machines consist in their being without this same boasted gift of language? 
Silence, it has been said by one writer, is a virtue which renders us agreeable to our fellow creatures. End of chapter 23